All right, if you would turn in your Bibles with me to Titus chapter 3. Titus chapter 3, and as the, uh, we, we do have a handout for you this morning. And so as our ushers make their way back, if you did not receive a handout, if you would, just lift your hand. And I'll say this too, about the handout. The handout is mainly so we can cover a lot of ground quickly. I have a tendency, especially talking to teenagers that talk like this all the time, I really have a tendency to talk really fast. So if you really listen fast, I will talk fast, okay? And then, okay, maybe not that, that quickly. I saw a couple of people go. Mainly it was my wife back there going. We're going to put her in the overflow next week. Um, <laughs> all right, Titus chapter 3, I digress and get myself in trouble. Titus chapter 3, verse 1, the scripture here says, Put them in mind to be subject to principalities and powers, to obey magistrates, to be ready to every good work, to speak evil of no man, to be no brawlers but gentle, showing all meekness unto all men. For we ourselves also were sometimes foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving diverse lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful, and hating one another. But after that, the kindness and love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy He saved us, by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost, which He shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, that being justified by His grace we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life, this is a faithful saying, and these things I will that thou affirm constantly, that they which have believed in God might be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable unto men. And if you would look at verse 14, and let ours also learn to maintain good works for necessary uses, that they be not unfruitful. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you so much for your words. I pray that you uh, please speak to our hearts this morning from them. Please help us to see how we can apply it to our lives. I do pray for our pastor this morning that as he preaches that you'd give him uh, clarity of thought and mind and help him to be able to communicate the message that you lay on his heart from your word. And Lord, I pray that uh, you'd lead us and guide us today. I pray that we would um, be able to leave here differently than we came in. Lord, please help us in this hour, we ask in your name. Amen. The title that I have for you this morning is we're going to talk about careful to maintain good works. Careful to maintain good works. And by way of introduction, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10 says, For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works. So God, if you are saved, if you have uh, by faith placed your trust in Christ alone for your soul's salvation, if you know the Lord is your Savior, God has created you anew unto good works. There, there is a, pur- a purpose and a plan that God has for your life. And so not only has He created us in Christ unto good works, the Bible also says, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. So God has a purpose for your life as a believer. There are things that God has for you to do, and He wants you to walk in them. And that plan did not develop once you came to know Christ as your Savior. This was foreordained before the foundation of the world. The Lord knew those who would trust Christ as their Savior, and He has good works for them to walk in. Now, when you think about being careful to do something, the opposite of careful is what? Careless, right? Careless. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't want to be known as careless. I don't want to be a careless parent. You know, you forget the kid, leave him in the car, you know, for eight hours, and then, you know, Chad and his, the EMTs have to respond to it. Uh, how many of you want a careless teenager driving your vehicle? <laughs> how many of you want any teenager driving your vehicle? <laughs> right? 
We don't want to be known as careless parents. Teenagers, they don't want to be known as careless. You don't want to be known as being a careless boss or employee or a coach or, or a teacher. Do we want to be known as careless Christians? Because here's the thing. If we're not careful, we're being careless. And the verse 14 gave us, if we're not careful to maintain good works, you know what the opposite of that is? Unfruitful. Just unfruitful. Now notice this. Not unsaved. Not lose your salvation. Just not careful to maintain a a path that God has designed for you as a believer. Right? And so, I will be careful to walk in the path that God has created for me when I affirm the truths in this text. And uh, again, this has nothing to do with losing salvation, but everything to do with my walk with the Lord. So, how can I be a careful Christian? How can I be careful to maintain good works? Affirm these truths that we're going to look at this morning. Number one, affirm my sinful past. Uh, he, he says, if you affirm these things constantly, you'll, you'll be careful to maintain good works. And one of the things that he talks about in this text is our past. In verse 3, the scripture says, For we ourselves also were sometimes foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving diverse lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. Well, that's quite a group. Right? How many of you want all that on your basketball team or all that at, at your place of work? I've got people that are this, this, and this. Well, you know what? Our church is filled with people who come from a past of these characteristics. We're all in this boat. And so let's examine a few of these today. Now, this part of the message is probably not going to make you feel better about yourself. But that's okay, because the the other half will. The other part will, all right? Uh, So letter A, we were foolish in our past. We were foolish. And what, did I, what I wanted to do, the book of Proverbs is full of illustrations of a wise man and a foolish person. And so these were just some of them. But uh, Psalm 14.1 and in 53.1 says, The fool hath said in his heart, there is no God. You know, there are people in this room that in your past, you were an atheist. In your past, you said, I don't believe in God. But there was a day that God changed your life. And there might be someone here this morning that that's where you are. You're saying there's no God. And the Bible says, you're, that's foolish. A fool has said that in his heart. There is no God. Proverbs 10.18 says, He that hideth hatred with lying lips, and he that uttereth a slander is a fool. Now this part here, like this whole section of this message, do not raise your hand here, okay? Because <laughs> I'm going to ask questions. But uh, when the Bible says you hide hatred with lying lips... I'm telling you, we've all done that. No, it's okay. I hate your guts and I wish you'd die. That's what a fool does. Hides hatred with lying lips. Liar, liar, pants on fire. Uttereth a slander. You ever said something about somebody that wasn't true? Because you didn't like them? Because... Because they got something you didn't. He that uttereth a slander is a fool. Proverbs 29.11. If you haven't done that, Proverbs 29.11. A fool uttereth all his mind. <laughs> well, let me tell you what I think about that. You know, just every conversation, you got to let somebody else know what you think about it. Fool uttereth all his mind. Proverbs 14. The Bible says, A wise man keepeth it until afterwards. Proverbs 14.16. A wise man feareth and departeth from evil, but a fool rageth and is confident. Have you ever seen road rage? I'll never forget, it was about three years ago, I was dropping off, I dropped off uh, Shauna and Chloe at the Dayton airport, and I was coming back, and it was Christmas Day, I think it was Christmas Day, 
It's Christmas, man. Don't road rage on Christmas. Actually, Christmas is the time where you do road rage. Right? You got you have places to go. You got malls to get to. But um, I mean, there were two cars on I seventy five, and all of a sudden, I saw them coming in my rear view. And they were coming a little too fast, right? And so one of them comes around this way, the other one comes around this way, and they started road raging around my vehicle, and I just backed off of that thing. Because you had a minivan and another car that the, the guy ended up in the right lane of I-75, jammed on his brakes, and the guy behind him had to cut over into the emergency lane and go around, and man, they were going at it. That was a foolish thing to do. Because in an instant, somebody could have gotten killed, and somebody that wasn't even involved in that. And... But but a fool, he rages, just get angry at uh, without a cause. Or and the Bible says, "Be angry and sin not." So there are times to be angry, angry at sin. But um, a fool rageth. Proverbs fifteen five. A fool despiseth his father's instructions, but he that regardeth reproof is prudent. I am learning as a homeowner over the last twelve years. I have learned to listen to my father. All right, my dad's an industrial engineer. He took he. he uh, my dad did five years of engineering school at Ohio State in four. Um, he ruined the curve in a math class. That's kind of the funny story he likes to tell us about. But uh, recently I had a, a, a deal with my sump pump, and dad re-engineered, kind of making it go out. And uh, it, I just know when my dad says, hey, if you don't do this, this is going to happen, I've learned to really trust what dad says. Dad knows a little bit more about engineering than I do. A fool, he despiseth his father's instruction. Proverbs 19, uh, 1. Better is the poor that walketh in his integrity than he that is perverse in, a, in his lips and is a fool. You ever been perverse in your speech? Proverbs 18, 2. A fool hath no delight in understanding, but that his heart may discover itself. If that is not the spirit of our age, I don't know what is. You know, every show on the planet now is... A, well, how do you feel about that in your heart? Tell us what's on your heart. All right, We're going to look more about what the Bible says about your heart. But you know what a fool does? I just have to discover my inner self. It's a foolish thing to do. Proverbs 18.6 A fool's lips enter into contention, and his mouth calleth for strokes. A fool's mouth is his destruction, and his lips are a snare to his soul. You have to enter into contention. You get yourself into, I, I, I told her what was going on. Proverbs 27, 22, Though thou shouldest... This is one of my favorite passages about a fool. Though thou shouldest bray a fool in a mortar among wheat with a pestle, yet will not his foolishness depart from him. You cannot pound the foolishness out of a fool. Just can't. You just can't. Be, and, and it's amazing. And, and you can go to prison cells today and, and see people that you could literally not beat the foolishness out of them. And I tell you... The Bible says the way of transgressors is hard. You know what? Their life is hard because they've made b- bad choices. And uh, we love those people, want to get them the gospel. And I'll tell you this, there are people in our church background that have been that foolish, but Jesus Christ will change your life. And we'll see that here in a moment. So uh, Proverbs twenty-eight twenty-six: He that trusteth in his own heart is a fool. The Bible says there is a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. So in our text this morning, he says, we, all of us, all right, now don't sit there and be like, well, preacher, he's just sitting there talking about me. Look at the verse again. For we ourselves also, we all, all right, also were sometimes foolish. You know, I, I, I have done and said foolish things in my, in my life. But not only that, we were disobedient. Number one, we were disobedient to God. We were disobedient to God. Have we kept the Ten Commandments? Let me ask you, can you name the Ten Commandments? 
I'll never forget being in my high school English class. And I think at this point I was a junior in high school. I think it was a drama class. A bunch of girls in it. Uh, just, uh, I was kidding. I'm kidding. That was a joke. All right. I have two daughters, so I am preparing myself. It was so sad. Yesterday, Saturday, Chloe, so Chloe wakes up and I, I'm still kind of laying there in bed and I hear her bawling. And I go in there, I'm like, Chloe, and she's sitting in her Sunday dress and she goes, Daddy, today is Saturday. It's not Sunday. It's not church day. And I was like, you know, and I'm like, I'm like, oh, that's really sweet, but honey, you don't have to cry. It's okay. And so I'm preparing myself, Bob. <laughs> Chad, Chad, I'm preparing myself, right? But it was really sweet, but I'm like, oh man, buckle up, all right? She was really sad that it wasn't church day, so that's a good thing to be sad about. Um, but I was in my English drama class, and I remember we got onto a discussion of the Ten Commandments, and of the ten other teenagers around me, they couldn't put together the list of ten. And I'm thinking, if you can't name ten, how are you going to keep ten? How do you know whether you kept them or not? We were, we, we, let me tell you, you haven't kept them. We have been disobedient to God. Uh, one of them is to honor thy father and thy mother. Number two, we've been disobedient to parents. Romans 1.30. Uh, here's a group of people. He's talking about backbiters, haters of God, despiteful, proud boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents. 2 Timothy 3.2, For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy. You see how God lumps all those people together? Because what happens is we think, well, I've never been, I've never murdered somebody, so, I mean, I know that I've done some things wrong, but not that bad. And God says, all these people, they're these things, they're these sins. It just lumps them together. The Bible says that if we offend in one point of the law, we're guilty of all and we're become convinced as transgressors. That's the key. It's not what specific sin have you done. It's you have violated God's law. We are sinners. We are transgressors. And that has separated us from God. We were disobedient. Uh, letter C, we were deceived. In our, in our past, he says, that there are some things in your past. You were foolish. You were disobedient. You were deceived. Jeremiah 17, 9. Remember, the, the Bible says that a fool... Tries to sit there. He discovers his heart. Well, you, you know what? God reveals to you and I what our hearts are like. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? No doubt you have been by yourself and thoughts have crossed through your mind that you would be unbelievably ashamed for us to give to Michael, the computer guy back there, and broadcast it up here for everybody. But the Bible says that God, all things are open and naked unto him with whom we have to do. Now, there are things in your life I'm glad I don't know that you've thought. There are things that I'm glad you don't know that I've thought. But God knows all that. Don't deceive yourself. We were deceived. Our hearts, man, they're wicked. And James 1.22 says, now, and so for the religious people. All right, here, here, here's your verse. James 1, 22. But be ye doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. This is for us independent Baptists. We come to church every Sunday, and he says, listen, don't just hear it. You've got to heed it. And no doubt, I've heard, if I stopped and thought about the number of sermons I've heard in the 20 years that our pastor's been here, and then add some because I you know, grew up here in church, that's a lot of sermons. I can tell you this morning, I do not live up to everything I've ever heard out of the Word of God. I don't know that I live up to like half of what I've heard in the Word of God because 
Again, many of you, you've had opportunity to hear message after message, to read the Bible, to, to get those verses. But what he says is, if you hear it, but you don't do it, it's like you looked at yourself in the mirror and you went, oh, man. What's that green thing coming out of my ear? Got some nose hairs. I should do something about that. And then you just go walk outside. That's what he compares that to when we look at the Word of God and we say, ooh, there's some stuff that I should be doing. There's some, well, there's some things I shouldn't be doing. But then we go away and we don't change it. So James one twenty two says, But be ye doers of the Word, and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. So don't deceive yourself. Just live out the Word of God, James one twenty two. We also, we serve diverse lusts and pleasures. This is interesting. Romans 6, 16 says, Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom ye obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. So there are only two things that you and I yield ourselves to. We either yield to sin or we yield to obedience and righteousness. Right? So there's only, only two options. He says in verse 19, I speak after the manner of men because of the infirmity of your flesh. For as ye have yielded your members, there he's talking about your, your eyes, your ears, your nose, your mouth, your hands. When we sin, there are physical sins that we can commit, and we have yielded our members to that. He says, as ye have yielded your, your members servants to uncleanness and to iniquity unto iniquity, even so now yield your members servants to righteousness unto holiness. For ye were the servants of sin, for when ye were the servants of sin, ye were free from righteousness." And um, I was uh, uh, discipling with uh, Jet Blackford this week, and he asked me, has there ever been some a situation that you said as a Christian, something that you did as a Christian that you had to go back to somebody and say, listen, what I did there, that was wrong. And, and I told him, man, there was a huge pivot point in my life as a teenager where some people would have uh, seen me do certain something in my life that, I, that God give me, did give me an opportunity to go back to them and say, Listen, man, you know, when I did that, that was wrong, and I'm just I'm living for the Lord, and I'm not going to do that anymore. And so, no doubt, there are others of you in here that, that you, you, you surrendered, you yielded to sin, but now you're yielding yourself unto God. And so, you're living for the Lord, and, and, and you're walking with Him. So, uh, we have all served diverse lusts and pleasures, and then lived in malice and envy. The verse there says, living in malice and envy. Letter E. Uh, Number one underneath that, malice, the definition of it is it is extreme enmity of heart or malevolence, a disposition to injure others without cause from mere personal gratification or from a spirit of, what's the next word? Revenge, unprovoked malignity or spite. Just, you, you had to get back at somebody. I mean, don't you realize what they said about me? Don't you realize, if you were in my shoes, you'd have done the same, you know, we have said things like that. So malice, they have to get back at somebody. And then envy, envy. To feel uneasiness, discontent at the sight of superior excellence. It's mainly the way every guy felt it when they saw me preaching this morning, all right, when they came in the door. <laughs> I'm just making sure you're awake, all right? <laughs> to feel uneasiness, discontent at the sight of superior excellence. Reputation. Or happiness enjoyed by another to repine at another's prosperity. I love that word, repine. Just, there they go, getting that all they got again. Don't they have enough stuff? You know, and uh, 
they repine at another person's prosperity, to fret or grieve oneself at the real or supposed superiority of another and to hate him on that account. That's, that's colorful. That's a great definition by Webster, isn't it? Because here's the thing. I read that definition and I went, oh. nailed. Nailed. I've been envious. I love the word uneasiness. It just made you uneasy. Just, why don't I have it that good? Just uneasy. Just discontent. Man. We may think envy is not a big deal. Joseph's brothers delivered him up for envy, the Bible says. Sold him into slavery. Hated him. Why? Because Joseph had the dream. He was the dreamer. He dreamt that, that their sheaves would bow down to him, that, that the, the, the um, stars would bow down. Why, why does Joseph get that? Delivered him for envy. The Jews delivered up Jesus for envy. They started seeing the crowd that he was getting and became envious and thought, if we don't shut him down, the whole world's going to follow after him. They delivered him for envy. What have I done out of envy? Letter F, we were hateful and hating one another. 1 John 3.15, whosoever hateth his brother is a bad person. What does it say? Murderer. And you know that no murderer hath eternal life abiding in him. You say, well, I would never kill anybody. Have you hated them in your heart enough to think it out, to, to picture that, to, to really want that to happen to them? And then, and then pull yourself back and you're like, all right, okay, well, I, I didn't really want that to happen. Heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? So here's the deal. We need to affirm our sinful past. I I can't read through that list and not be convicted about sin. But not only affirming our sinful past, but number two, one of the things if we're going to maintain good works, we need to affirm the character of God. Affirm the character of God. In chapter 3, verse 4, the Bible says, but after, there's a big contrasting conjunction there, right? How many of you English teachers in here? He is about to turn it all around and kick it into high gear. Yeah, you felt really bad? That's good because it's going to point you to the Savior, Jesus Christ. But after that, the kindness and love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy, He saved us. What are the characteristics of God here in this passage? Well, God's kindness appeared toward man. His absolute kindness. Psalm 117, verse 2, For His merciful kindness is great toward us, and the truth of the Lord endureth forever. Praise ye the Lord. I am so glad that God is a kind God. He's real and He loves us. And then letter B, God's love toward man appeared. God's love toward man appeared. 1 John chapter 4, verse 10, the Bible says, Herein is love. Now listen, our world has some sick ideas about love. They have some very uninformed ideas about love and some very perverted ideas about love. In Proverbs chapter 6, there's a young man that's void of wisdom. He's a fool. And he goes to the harlot and she says to him, Hey, the good man's gone a long journey. Uh, let us fill ourselves with loves. Let us solace ourselves with loves. Let us take our fill of love until the morning. Can I tell you that wasn't love? That was a physical relationship. It was not love. The Bible says, herein is love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. If you love God, in 1 John it says, it's because He loved you first. 
And here, I hope that you realize this morning, we were sometimes foolish, disobedient, deceived, living in malice, deceitful, hating, hating one another. That's what we were. But God, in His great love, sent His Son to be the, and it's a cool word, it's a cool Bible word, propitiation. Everybody say that. Propitiation. Teenagers, say that. All right, let's try one more time. Teenagers. Propitiation, all right? This is, this is what a propitiation is. It is a satisfactory payment. Satisfactory payment. Tomorrow, if you go into Apple, the Apple store, and you see one of their cool people in their cool T-shirts, right, with their blue T-shirts on. They wear red around Christmas, but they got a blue T-shirt on. And you say, hey, man, those MacBook Pros are awesome. 200 bucks. I'll give you 200 bucks for that. That is not a propitiation to them. I tried it. No. <laughs> You know, it is a propitiation, five-finger discount, right? That's, that's a propitiation. No, they have set a price. They have standards. <laughs> they want a certain amount of money for an electronic device. They have set a price that they will not accept. There's no negotiating when you go to the Apple store. There's a little bit when you go to Best Buy, you know, that type of thing. But there, there, is, an, there is a satisfactory payment to them. Go into Kroger tomorrow, ladies, and... Go, you know, get some lemons and some lettuce and say, well, I don't really like your price for the lettuce. You know, let's go like, you know, five cents a pound or whatever. You know, you try and negotiate that. Is that going to work? No, there is a satisfactory payment to them. As a sinner, I don't negotiate with God. I don't come to God and say, well, God, I know some of that malice, envy stuff I had going on. But listen, I'll do some good works and, and we can kind of exchange this whole thing. Like, I'll do some of this that you want me to do and it'll take care of some of this. No, there's none of that with God because God is righteous. He is holy. And it, here's the deal. Like, people are like, well, why God doesn't God just let everybody into heaven? Because if he did, he would not be a just and righteous God. It'd be the same thing if a drunk driver hit your kid and killed him. And then the judge said, you know what? His bad. He really feels bad about it. He's going to try and do some good things in community service. That wouldn't be a good judge. Right? And so, God, we have done so many things in our past and uh, that, that, that they must be paid for. But here's the good news. Christ is the satisfactory payment. Here's the deal. Jesus Christ is God. So when he died on the cross, it was different than, some, than any other person ever dying for you. He wasn't just a good teacher. He wasn't just a good man. Jesus Christ is and was, always will be, God. So he had no sin of his own to pay for. The Bible says that in him is no sin. He didn't have sin to pay for for himself. So when he went to the cross and he shed his blood, that was perfect, sinless blood. He wasn't tainted like you and I are in our DNA with uh, sin that we've inherited from Adam and then sins by choice that we've committed to do. Jesus Christ was born of a virgin. That's why that's so important because he didn't have a sin nature and he is God. And so when he died on the cross, he shed perfect sinless blood. And the Bible calls him the satisfactory payment, the propitiation for our sins. So now when God sees you and I through the blood of Christ, it's all paid in full. Remember, Jesus cried out on the cross. He said, Tetelestai, it is finished. And have you ever paid off your mortgage or your car? And then you kept sending them money after that? No, the, the, the debt was paid. You make those checks out to Nathan Brynick. I live over at Westminster Drive. You know. The price has been paid. There is nothing you can do to add to what Jesus paid. 
It's been paid in full. He is the satisfactory propitiation for our sins. So verse number four says, But after that, the kindness and all of that happened out of the kindness and love God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness, which we have done. The third characteristic is God's mercy. God did not save me according to my goodness. He saved me according to his mercy. And thank God for that. Because the Bible says my righteousness is, is, is all the good stuffs I do, all the people I help, all the people I'm kind to. It's all as filthy rags. Why? Because I'm a sinner. Ephesians 2.8 says, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. We have nothing to boast about this morning. Save Jesus Christ. He's awesome. And He loved us. He's the propitiation for our sins. So now, here's a cool doctrinal thing. All right, So we have a bunch of people in here that have trusted Christ as your Savior. Here's some cool things that happened the moment that you did, by faith, trust the Lord as your Savior. Verse 5. Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy He saved us. By the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost, which He shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior. So if I'm going to maintain good works, first of all, I have to realize and remember, man, I was a sinner. I am. I am a sinner. Number two, the character of God is awesome. He's merciful. He's gracious. He's kind toward me. And then number three, affirm the washing and renewing of the Holy Spirit. Remember what God did doctrinally. Remember what God did spiritually in your life the moment you got saved. And if you're like me, there's a lot of this stuff you learn after you get saved that you're like, oh, wow, cool. That's what God did when I asked Christ to save me by faith? Yes. All right, so here you go. uh, Letter A, by the washing of regeneration. By the washing of regeneration. How many of you ladies have that secret formula that you use to get stains out of clothing? My wife has one. She talked to her mother and... It like contains ammonia, so I can tell when she's making it. It's like, was there like a meth lab in my basement? What is this? Shauna's down there. She's like ammonia and some other stuff. I guess that's a pretty powerful cleaner. And there are stains that you know get on my shirts, and I'll, I'll tell Shauna, "Hey, you got to use your secret stuff on this because this one's really bad. This stain, chocolate or you know whatever." And here, the Bible says there's something very special that God has that can wash the stain of sin out of our lives, and it's the blood of Jesus Christ. His blood can wash away our sin. First John 1 John 1.9 says, uh, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. To cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Turn with me, if you would, quickly to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. I wanted you to see this. So, God is able to cleanse us from all unrighteousness I want you to see here in a local church, this first, the church at Corinth. They were believers. They were people like us, right? And there were things that, that they had come... There were people in their church that had come to know Christ and they were uh, from diverse backgrounds and, and had things in their past that also needed to be washed away. I want you to see some of those things that God is able to wash away. 1 Corinthians 6, 9. Know ye not that unrighteousness shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Now, according to our Titus passage, that's bad for us, right? Because you see those unrighteousnesses, foolishness, deceived, surveying dialers. So how can I ever get to heaven? Well, know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, 
nor abusers of themselves of mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous. All right, so, so people that have lusted after things, covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. All right, so we're in trouble, right? We'll look at verse 11. And such were some of you, but ye are washed, but ye are sanctified, but ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. The moment you placed your trust in Christ and what He did for you on the cross, the Holy Spirit of God washed that sin away through the blood of Christ. Price has been paid. He has been the propitiation. And we have the washing of regeneration. What I love, we're here in 1 Corinthians. Uh, let me see if I can... I think it's actually... Look at 2 Corinthians. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5. So we have the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. So 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new what? He's, he's been made new. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. So we have the washing of regeneration, and then in your handout, letter B, by the renewing of the Holy Ghost. Now this is so important. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2, and then we'll read the other verse together. Look at Ephesians chapter 2. Man is a triune being. When God created man... He said, let us make man after our image, after our likeness. So you have the Godhead, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. These three are one. Man is made in the image of God, and so he has a spirit, a soul, and a body. All right? You remove your body, and weird things happen. No, just kidding. But you have a spirit, you have a soul, and you have a body. And so what we are going to see from the Scriptures is that we are deficient spiritually when we're born. Um, So 1 Thessalonians 5.23, I gave you that verse, man is a triune being. Because the Bible says, and the very God of peace sanctify you wholly, right? Completely, right? And I pray, God, your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless under the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So that's why we see there's a biblical principle that you are spirit, soul, and body. Number two, man is born dead spiritually because of sin. I want you to think about this. God said and, and had told Adam and Eve, the day that you eat of the fruit, you will surely die. So Adam and Eve, they ate of the fruit, right? And then Adam killed over, dead on the ground, you know. Is that what happened? No, he lived like another 800 years. But what happened? He died spiritually. God wasn't wrong because in that day, their spirit, their, communica- their, their ability to have fellowship with God spiritually died. And so Ephesians chapter 2 here uh, uh, builds on that idea. In verse 1 it says, And you hath he quickened, that quickened it's, it's to make alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins. So again, obviously, were you physically going around a physically dead person committing sin? No, you were alive, but you were dead. You were dead spiritually. You, you could not fellowship with God because your spirit was dead. You were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in time past... Now, this text is about to really correlate to Titus. Wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of who? Disobedience. Among whom also we all had our conversation in times past in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. But God, who is rich in mercy for his great love, wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace you are saved. So what happened? For the believer, the moment you trusted Christ as your Savior, you were born again. You were washed 
you were made anew and your spirit was quickened. And now when you hear the word of God, the Holy Spirit of God knocks on your heart's door and goes, yeah, that's what God, yeah. and you're like, amen. And you're excited to be here. And, and, and you want to know more about Jesus Christ. Why? Because you can fellowship with God because you're spiritually alive. If you could, if you don't care about being in church, you don't care about hearing the word of God. It might be because you're spiritually dead. And so you don't care. Here's the problem. You ought to care because your eternity matters. So we have the washing of regeneration, the renewing of the Holy Ghost. Now, how did all of this happen? All right. Now, this is interesting. Let's deal with the Calvinist for a moment. All right. So God, you know, the Calvinist teaches that God just picks people for heaven, picks people for hell. And the people that he picks for heaven have no say in it. They can't do anything about it. The people that God picks for hell, they have no say. They can do nothing about it. All of this process, all of this happened. How? which he shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. So how did all this happen? When you, by faith, trusted Christ as your Savior. When you made that choice, God, his Holy Spirit, washed you and renewed you. So we need to affirm the washing and renewing of the Holy Spirit. I love it this way. In Psalms, the Bible says that God hath taken our sin and removed it as far as the east is from the west. That's how far God's removed our transgressions from us. So yeah, the first part of the message was a downer. Second part of the message is God, his mercy and grace is so unbelievable. He can save the most vile sinner. And he gave us a picture of that with Paul. Paul was killing Christians. He was a blasphemer. He was injurious. He persecuted the church. Listen, if you're here this morning, you are not too far gone to save you. For God to save you. Number four, affirm your eternal inheritance. So back to Titus. The scripture says that we have the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost, that being justified by his grace, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Um, No doubt, if you had that rich uncle, you know, if Bill Gates was your uncle and then he died, you'd be making the the attorney appointment, right? Find out what he left you. You wouldn't miss that meeting. But here's the coolest thing. You can affirm there are some things that you now will inherit as a believer in Jesus Christ. First of all, you've been justified by His grace. God looks at you not only as if you had never sinned, but as if though you had obeyed Him in every point of the law, because that's what Jesus did. Remember, 2 Corinthians says that He hath made Him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. So God didn't just remove your sin. He put a bunch of righteousness on your account, because, and it was Christ's righteousness that He gave you, so we're justified. And then you're an heir according to the hope of eternal life. Now we dealt with this a little bit on Wednesday. The biblical definition of hope is not the way we use it today. There are people in here that you hope you win the lottery. You hope, you know, some of those teen guys, they hope to look like me someday. You know, (laughs) there are things that we can hope for. Biblical hope is I know this is going to happen. It just hasn't happened yet. And for the believer, 1 John 5.13 says, These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life, and that you may believe on the name of the Son of God. God wants you to know whether or not you're going to heaven. He wants you to know that, but do you know that? These things are written that you might believe on the name of the Son of God, and that you may know that you have eternal life. So to finish out here in Titus, Titus chapter 3, The scripture says that being justified by his grace, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. This is a faithful saying in these things. I will that thou affirm constantly. How many of you have ever had a child do something 
constantly. We have a four-month-old in the house right now. There are things that she needs constantly, right? Sometimes they, they need diapers changed constantly. They need to be fed. They need to be burped. They need all this stuff constantly. You know what believers need? We need to affirm some things constantly. And I can tell you, with, and, it, and it breaks my heart to even begin to think about it, but there are people that over the 20 years of this ministry, they didn't affirm these things constantly. And so today, if you were to go find them, they're not maintaining good works. They're not living for the Lord. And here's the deal. They are as saved as I am. They didn't lose their salvation. But do you remember Ephesians 2.10? God has a plan. He has a purpose. He has things He wants them to do and to walk in. And, and they're not experiencing that. And man, by the grace of God, because He's merciful, because He's kind, because He loves us, they will be in heaven just as much as I will be. Just as much as you will be. But how much different could their life have been? How much different could the lives of people that they're influencing have been for eternity if they had maintained their walk with Christ? And here, here's my... I want to make this, this point in, in conclusion. In the, in, the, in the Christian life, you know, sometimes um, we can look down on, on just the idea of maintaining, you know, maintenance. Just keep on going. Just keep on going. What helped me with this text is maintain is a Bible word. So God says, I want you to maintain good works. And what he correlates it to is being careful. And we said the opposite of careful is careless. So as a believer, if I'm maintaining good works, that means I'm not being careless. It also means Titus 3.14, I'm not being unfruitful. And what does Jesus want us to do? Bring forth more fruit. Now, without him, we can do nothing. So as we walk with him, as we're careful to do these things, we'll bear much fruit. And so uh, it's not the idea we put our Christian life on cruise control and maintain it's an idea of more of an idea of being fruitful, not being careless. So 10 years from now, 20 years from now, if Jesus doesn't come back, you're still plugged into a local church serving God, hopefully this one. But you're still plugged into a church living for Jesus Christ, maintaining good works. So my question to you this morning is, have you affirmed your sinful condition before God? Have you ever acknowledged to God that you're a sinner and realized that Christ is that satisfactory payment for your sin? If not, you can do that today. And you don't have to be in a church to do that. You can just pray and ask God to save you, and He will confess to Him that you're a sinner. If you would, I, I will be around. I'll probably be one of the last people to leave here today. I'd love nothing more than to take the Bible and show you how you can be sure that you know that when you die, that you're going to heaven. And then have you affirmed the character of God? Do you know that He's kind, that he loving, He's loving, and He has grace? And then are you maintaining a fruitful walk with the Lord? If you do these things, they'll make you that you'll neither be unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for your grace.